when Darius McDermott from Fund Calibre, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. Today, I am joined by Keaton Patel, manager of the Eden Tree Amity UK Equity Fund. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Darius. Hope you're keeping well. Yes, we are doing as best as we can in these um, strange and interesting times. Um, so let's talk about the fund. Uh, when we met last year, you talked about exciting opportunities in healthcare. Obviously, it's been a very topical theme um, given the pandemic. Uh, but you, you talked about pharma, drugs, technology, and this has been a huge area of focus for you. How how has this um, impacted companies, and you know, has there been a huge acceleration in some of the change in those areas? Yes, uh, healthcare is one of the core pillars at, uh, for us at Eden Tree. We are a responsible and sustainable investing house. Uh, the Amity UK uh, fund was launched in '88, so it has a long history and has a long history in investing there in healthcare. Now, what the pandemic has done, it's accelerated the manner in which the wider healthcare sector operates. So, R&D timelines, for example, have been accelerated because there is a, a race to find a vaccine uh, or treatments for COVID. Uh, the diagnostic sector obviously has had to pivot to mass production of testing kits like never before. So there's a real challenge there in terms of finding materials and also distributing as well. Uh, however, you know, one of the kind of catalysts has been the actual utilization of technology, and that's been a massive game changer. So a really good example here would be something like telehealth, which has you know, been a massive turbo boost by the pandemic. And I think this will result in better health economics uh, and also superior patient outcomes as well. Now, the, the companies that are, which are in a part of the portfolio, which are going to play a part um, and maybe a major part in terms of a solution to the uh, pandemic uh, from R&D and also manufacturing. So both AstraZeneca uh, from R&D in terms of producing a vaccine and also Glaxo, uh, which will play a bigger role, I think, in terms of the manufacturing and the distribution of any, any vaccine that comes out either at the end of 2020 or 2021. Have Astra said anything about their vaccine recently? That's in collaboration with Oxford, isn't it? It is indeed. I mean, vaccine seems to have gone a little quiet on that one. Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of work in this area in terms of vaccines. So if I were going to give you an example, since 1973, only 12 vaccines have come to the market. The fastest one took four years by Merck. Yeah. So that's, you know, tells you how difficult it is to produce a vaccine for one single area. Can you imagine trying to treat seven and a half billion people? A good example here is that Astra, sorry, uh, Glaxo and Sanofi make two billion doses of vaccines for everything in the world. That's two billion. We will need 10 billion because this will be a double dose. There's not enough vials or syringes, etc. So it's a real challenge. But I think the first part we have to do is hopefully there will be a, a cogent vaccine which will work. Uh, you know, and, and we can distribute to the most vulnerable uh, parts of the community, and then it will be a case of getting the rest of the population vaccinated if they choose to do so as well. There's still an issue; people may not want to get vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you say, it's not just the vaccine itself, is it? It's the production of the medical equipment to distribute yeah. them, and 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 the production of the vaccine. Yeah. And people don't forget that you need a cold uh, supply chain technology. You know, the vaccines have to be stored at a certain temperature. Uh, in certain parts of the world, it will work easily. If it's the US or Western Europe, in other parts of the world where the environment is a lot more challenging and the tech isn't there, it will yeah. be a huge challenge in terms of logistics, I think, personally. Yeah. Another interesting area uh, is big data and AI. 
yeah. uh, artificial intelligence. And this is a sort of a theme it, 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 that, that you're keen on as well. Um, maybe if you just give us a little bit about your thinking, but also the ethics in some of these areas. I mean, if you think about it, in terms of drug discovery in particular, you know, there's been a real challenge around uh, kind of using large numbers in terms of generating an outcome. Years ago, um, you know, there were animal testing models that were used were quite wasteful and actually, you know, caused a huge amount of misdirection in terms of drug discovery. However, by using big data, in particular AI, that accelerated that process. So, so, so earlier candidates, which weren't going to ever ever pass hurdles, are dropped. So you're effectively getting a refined process by using uh, tech, uh, technology. That's obviously fantastic for healthcare companies, also fantastic for animals as well, because we need to test less in that area so we can bring about products much more earlier and safer as well. So massive tick there. However, there is a real challenge here, and that's the ethics. Uh, and we've done a large amount of work through my colleague Neville White, who's head of RI, and also my fellow fund manager, Thomas Fitzgerald, who leads on US tech in particular. The area is uncharted territory. Most industries that we know very well are regulated. I'm talking about consumer products, utilities, telcos. You know, they're all regulated. However, in tech, because it's so fast moving, the actual regulations haven't caught up. And that's a real issue. So if I give you an example of data, your personal data, that's your children's data in terms of whether it's DNA, health, et cetera, who owns that data, where is it stored, how is it manipulated, how is it sliced and diced, who's it sold to, and what if it fell into the wrong hands? So cybersecurity is a real key area, and this sector is going to get right. If you think about it, if your bank details get stolen, the bank hopefully will reimburse you because if it was in your era, so that's easy. So that's financial compensation. However, if your health records go public or are lost or in somebody else's hands, insurance companies will have a lot more data. So it's about ownership of data and also storing it and actually making sure that it doesn't get compromised. Those are not easy challenges. We've seen so many companies uh, that have been hacked over the last couple of years and paid massive fines. And I think healthcare companies are going to have to you know, really work very hard to ensure that any transfer or data from the GP to the insurance company or in the US with PBMs, et cetera, or your employer even, ultimately. Uh, and, you know, these are real challenges uh, that the industry is going to have to face. Do you invest in cybersecurity then? We've got a small company called NCC uh, in the UK and they're ethical hackers. So their skill set is to go into companies to try and break either from inside or from external firewalls as well. It's a huge uh, industry in the US. You've got Cisco, which is leading the way because you need scale in this area as well. But in the UK, the very nature of the market, we're very cyclically heavy in oil, gas, mining, uh, tobacco, etc. We don't have a very high uh, quality tech sector like in the US where five right. companies effectively lead. I mean, the only uh, large uh, cap, you know, tech company in the US, uh, sorry, in the UK is uh, Sage. You know, and that's been around since the 80s. It's been an extraordinary compounder in, in Amity UK. But I don't get the same choice as my US fund managers who, who are actually right. loving uh, how fertile that space is. So when, when you, you, you started, you, you talked about Eden Tree being a socially responsible investment firm. That's um, Maybe can you t tell the listeners what that means to you industries that you maybe do and don't invest in, what, what do you screen out? What, what, how does that part of your process work? Yeah, so, you know, so the responsible and sustainable approach at Eden Tree, you know, looks at companies that pass both the negative and positive screen. So 
We don't invest in the usual sin stocks, uh, which we've got used to, which is basically fags, booze, bombs, gambling, and pornography. In addition, we don't invest in fossil fuel companies, so there's no oil, gas, there's no mining. We have a very carbon light footprint on the fund, which is measured every five years against the FTSE all share. We also have schemes of animal testing, which we only allow for pharmaceutical research, but not for uh, cosmetics or for household products. Also, uh, we have policies of intensive farming and oppressive regimes as well. So in terms of the ESG issues that we take into account, we have six core pillars, which are focused on business ethics, governance, community, employment, environment, human rights, and four themes as well, education, health and well-being, social infrastructure, and sustainable solutions. Now, that always sounds lovely, but actually, can you give us a real-world example? So a recent example of an industry that we avoided uh, is fast fashion. Uh, so when Boohoo came to the market in 2014, it failed our screening process and we didn't invest. So it failed on the E, S, and the G, bizarrely. So it was aim-listed. That's good work, that is. <laughs> so dominant founder, aim-listed, lack of an independent board, no environmental strategy, and also the very nature of the sector. I mean, fast fashion is built around two core pillars, right? Cheap and disposable, both of which are not sustainable. You know, and, th- and this is a real great example of a company that was obviously fettered and you know, over 20 ESG funds invested in Boohoo, some very high-profile ones, and they've had to divest. But not all have. You know, the argument, they still think that there is a case that we made for investing in fast fashion. We don't. We would like very much to say that you can invest in the fashion value chain. Dunelm, Next, uh, if you want to go European, Inditex as well. Uh, and these are three great companies. Marks, which we don't own, and we sold out years ago because we think it's structurally challenged. All these companies have a very strong, robust supply chain, which has been ethically you know, tested as well. So there are options. You don't have to go for fast fashion. So given the makeup of the UK market, and yeah. a big chunk of it that you can't or won't invest in. How do you construct a UK fund? I, mean, I know there are thousands of companies for you to pick from, but certainly at the bigger end of the market, um, when you take oil, mining, tobaccos out, there, there's what third of the FTSE just like that. Um, oh, yeah. So, 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 how do you construct a portfolio? What characteristics, from a financials point of view, do you like? Do you like cheap stocks? Are you a growth manager? Tell the audience how you put the social principles and the financials together. So for us, um, you know, this value growth argument doesn't really work for us. Fundamentally, you want to pick quality companies which are growing their earnings. There's three actual buckets. We look for compounders, growing earnings between 2 and 5%, growth between 5 and 10%, and high growth, 10 to 15%. And the real skill here is buying quality at a reasonable price. Now, the very nature of the UK market, you're right, a third of the FTSE goes, uh, but I've still got the balance of the rest of the mid-cap, uh, small-cap, and also some AIM companies, all FTSE fledgling. So the current portfolio is 50% FTSE 100, which is very different to my peers. All my peers are small and mid-capped out, but I found high-quality companies in the FTSE 100, uh, which, which, which pass our stringent screens as well. But the majority of the portfolio is very much 30% in the 250 in the balance in small-cap funds. Sorry, stocks. Um, we're looking for companies primarily that have, you know, uh, what I call a dominant market position and high recurring revenues. If you, if, you, if you get those things right, it translates into cash flows, profits, and margins, and hopefully earnings growth, and therefore an increase in the price. Now, that sounds easy when I've said it, but actually it's quite a difficult thing to find high-quality companies. 
However, we are lucky in the UK for one thing only. The UK for 150 plus years has been a centre of, of innovation in terms of R&D, not just in terms of science, but also engineering in particular. So I'm overweight industrials in the portfolio. Now, I think once the pandemic has gone and it will go one day and Brexit will come to pass because it will one day. I know it sounds torturous that we'll be going through at the moment, but those industrial companies are selling high quality products and services around the world with UK IP and engineering excellence. We may, we may not manufacture as much in the UK anymore, but we are still selling our excellence in terms of IP and, and, and engineering know-how. So from my perspective, for that is a core part of the portfolio. And I'm hoping in 2021, 2022, when we move away from Brexit and the pandemic eases up, these companies, which have got amazing operational gearing, will be able to deliver returns uh, on the fund. So we talked about the, the, the market and you mentioned, obviously, Brexit alongside um, the pandemic. But there's a re- lots of recent surveys which come out to show that UK equities as an asset class is totally unloved. Um, how do you see maybe this sort of, as you said, post-Brexit, there will still be a stock market, there still will be funds. Hopefully we'll all still have jobs. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think the long-term uh, picture for, for, for UK equities is? Listen, the, the UK market has been, sorry, the equity market has been a global outcast since the, you know, we made a decision to leave the EU in 2016. It's the nature of the actual market itself, you know, heavy in banks, fossil fuels, tobacco, et cetera. And, and, and these are just lagged massively. So the UK lags Europe and the US. The US obviously has a huge tech sector. Five companies have dominated that area. And, you know, we've seen astonishing returns globally in the market since the March low, but the UK's lagged. And, and Brexit is a key part of that. However, I guess the question is, are we positive for the long-term future of the UK we are. We think small and mid-cap companies, uh, which have defensive models, uh, they will do very well once Brexit has come. However, I think the FTSE 100 as, a, as an index, people will start to look. So, you know, one of the cases we make about is being active versus passive. Uh, the, the actual FTSE has been always been dominated by oil, mining, gas, banks, etc. Two of the largest companies today in the FTSE 100 are AstraZeneca and GlaxoSmithKline. The argument that if you buy an index, the, you'll be safe. No, ind- indices basically are structured around companies that are, that are part of that. And I think that the FTSE 100 has pivoted into a very skewed index. If you look at the dividends in the UK as well, massive concentration risk. Um, you know, the I think 15 companies represent over 60% of the DV, uh, and there's not a lot of cover as well. So the structure, when we talk about the UK market, I think we should break that down and say, listen, where are you seeing opportunities? For me, the mid-cap and the small-cap, looking for companies that are op- op- operationally really well-geared, and are going to sell services globally. I think that will work very well. However, if you ask me what is the prospects for real estate, the REITs or telcos, I don't understand how telcos will pay for all that 5G and try and recoup that revenue without any content because when it comes to telcos and wireless, it is a race to the bottom in terms of price. The likes of BT and Vodafone, for me, I think, I, I just don't know how they are going to pay those bills. I mean, Vodafone, you know, is going to obviously sell its towers business. BT could maybe break up with open reach. But these are you know, these are structurally challenged businesses. REITs in particular, if you look at what's happened with online, you know, British land, land, sex, et cetera. The office environment, you know, will change. I mean, how will London offices or regional offices REITs? You know, we do we cover property here as well. And we've seen a warehousing and kind of logistics REITs do really, really well. 
or, or specialist REITs, you know, whether it's PRS or it's the homeless REITs, which, uh, which came out last week. But I think generally for, for normal REITs like British Land and Landsex, they need to either reinvent themselves or find a way of making sure that their, that their net asset value is actually a real reflection of those assets. Yeah, and an observation that, that I have made is particularly on the FTSE 100, is in aggregate the FTSE 100 looks like a value index. And I wonder well, if that has contributed in this low rate environment that we find ourselves in, where there has been a chase for growth, compounders, high growth, medium growth, the sort of things you look for globally. People look at the, the FTSE 100 and go, yeah, that, that's that's a, a, dec- a declining index of, yeah, I mean, of, of structurally you, challenged stuff. You could call it an analog because the argument, you know, we would argue is actually what, what would take for these companies to come back into, into that fashion. Someone would say, well, um, it could be, you know, inflation could rise, interest rates are going to rise. But as you've seen what's happened, the, the, the central bankers uh, have flooded the market with cash. So the prospects of an interest rate hike, um, sorry, a meaningful one is now getting further and further out. So the yeah. UK, certainly the FTSE 100, is going to get structurally challenged and those companies and those sectors in particular. Keaton, thank you very much. That's been really interesting. Um, great chat on how you can invest uh, profitably and responsibly in the same go. Uh, this has been Fund Calibers Investing on the Go podcast. If you'd like more information on any of the funds, please visit fundcaliber.com or subscribe on any of your usual podcast channels. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening. Mm-hmm.